This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. On this edition of the show, we shine a spotlight on the ways in which unemployment has become an even worse problem for the people of South Africa over the course of our continued fight against the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, COVID-19 and the consequent economic effects have meant significant job losses for the people of South Africa. Many people have been affected and our future generation, that is the youth, are affected both immediately and in the long run. The impact of COVID-19 on access to education has been significant and disproportionately affected learners in poorer households. This immediate effect will have long-term consequences which, coupled with the direct employment effects of COVID-19, are very concerning. Now, I was alerted by the lovely folks from the production team of the COVID report to a study that was conducted by the even lovelier folks from FTI Consulting, tracking the rise of unemployment over the course of our fight against COVID-19. My guest at this time, Dr. Paula Armstrong, is the director at FTI Consulting. She's also in the economics and financial consulting segment, forming part of the team that conducted the study. And she joins us as a guest on the COVID report at this time. Dr. Armstrong, thank you so much for joining us here on the COVID report. You recently conducted a study on COVID-19 related unemployment in South Africa. Could you please tell us what prompted the research and the observations that you made? Thanks, Thank you very much for having me on your show. I think what prompted the research was just the absolute dire state of unemployment in South Africa. Uh, when COVID-19 hit the country and the country went into lockdown during much of March, April and early May, researchers working on the National Income Dynamics Study put together a coronavirus rapid mobile study looking at socioeconomic impact of COVID-19 in South Africa. And as part of that study, the authors looking at various themes um, came up with estimates of just how hard hit South African households were. So we saw, for example, increases in hunger within that household. We saw a very high prevalence of households running out of money uh, to buy food. We saw an increase in childhood hunger, which is a very acute measure of socioeconomic status in South Africa. So looking at these results and seeing just how bad the situation was on the ground prompted us to investigate and research what we know about unemployment in South Africa. We know that internationally we have a staggering unemployment rate. I think before COVID-19 we were sitting at around 30%. We then went into a five-week lockdown, six-week lockdown, which absolutely annihilated the, the labour market, particularly at the lower end of the income distribution. So this prompted us to just look at uh, what is the state of the South African labour market, what, what did it look like before COVID-19, um, and to sort of just sketch a picture of what the base was from which there would inevitably be uh, huge increases in unemployment. So that was the motivation, just to get a look at how bad things have been in the country. And, and that would be, you know, kind of looking at what things looked like in 2019, that would be a point of departure for a massive economic recession um, in which we now find ourselves as a result of the global pandemic. 
Indeed, all of that makes for grim hearing, Doctor. And it's something that we've talked about repeatedly here on the show, tracking the way things were before the COVID-19 pandemic hit and how the pandemic has just worsened the things that were already bad before COVID became the thing that it is now. Now, latching on to what you were saying about the consideration of the state of affairs before COVID, can you take us through how your findings from the research that you conducted lined up the difference in landscape between the period of lives that we lived as South Africans before COVID-19 versus how COVID-19 became a part of our lives and made things worse as far as the impact that COVID-19 had on the already pre-existing scourge of unemployment in South Africa? You know, I think that the impact that we've seen of COVID-19 will be very long-lasting. But starting just at where we were prior to COVID-19 hitting the country and having such a devastating economic effect, we were at a point where there are massive levels of unemployment in South Africa and massive levels of inequality. And we see the drivers of this inequality going back right into the education system where the quality of education received by children at the lower end of the income distribution simply doesn't compare to the quality of education at the upper end of the income distribution. And this is very much exacerbating the situation in terms of inequality and ultimately unemployment. So employment is very much a vehicle out of poverty, it's very much a vehicle to equalize some of the income distribution within any country, not just South Africa. And we know that in South Africa we have massive issues in terms of inequality in quality education. So we had this very big backlog in terms of uh, in terms of the poorer parts of the population. And I think what's been really disheartening to see and why we think that we've lost as much as 12 to 15 years in terms of socioeconomic gains in this country is that COVID-19, at the same time as affecting employment, the same time as affecting economic activity, it's had a massive impact on education. So it's closed down schools, and for many of the poorer children in South Africa, schools are really the only setting in which they have contact with educators. And we're looking at things as basic as access to the internet, facilities and equipment to be able to learn online. So when you already have massive inequalities in the quality of education, COVID-19, by keeping kids at home, has also um, inserted a massive wedge in the quality of education going forward, or for a really, really unequal base. So you've got kids at the end of the, of the education and distribution and the income distribution who simply haven't had any contact with teachers who have lost months of learning. So they've fallen further behind their peers at the upper end of the income distribution. So I think in terms of going forward, right from the level of education, what education means in terms of employment, and ultimately what employment means in terms of actually reaching some kind of equality within society, we've lost many years. And I think in terms of going forward, where we've come from, and already, you know, possibly the most unequal society in the world, to drive this wedge in terms of employment, in terms of education, between the upper and the lower income distribution is really potentially quite catastrophic. And I think we will feel this effect for many years to come. Now, from your perspective, Doctor, do you think that there's been an improvement in employment rates in the country since the movement from hard lockdown level five to the gradual decreasing of lockdown levels, the gradual easing of restrictions to where we currently find ourselves now at alert level one of the lockdown? I'm thinking in terms of the pockets of society that might have in their minds that just because 
the lockdown restrictions ease and ease further and further just because the lockdown levels decrease and further decrease further and further that that automatically links to an uprise in fortunes for those trying to find employment or those trying to lock down and solidify employment. Can you take me through what your observations have told you in this regard? So I think the easing of lockdown restrictions, various data sources have given different answers. So for example, in the NITSCRAM survey, when we look at the wave three data, we see that that survey, and, and it is a small sample, but we seem to see that employment levels have recovered in that sample. However, if we look at the two NFS data, the quarterly labor force survey data from the fourth quarter of 2020, we do see some recovery in employment, but not to the same levels as prior to COVID-19. And of course, there are many academics who, who question whether what we're seeing in the QLFS, the quarterly labor force survey, is in fact what's happening on the ground. But I think what's important to bear in mind is even if, best case scenario, and I don't think it is the case, I don't think we have recovered all of the employment from pre-COVID-19 levels. And we also know that unemployment definitely hits the poorer parts of the population harder than it did people at the upper end of the income distribution. So my belief is that we haven't quite gotten back to where we were prior to COVID-19. Yes, there has been some employment recovery, but it's simply not true that we're back to where we were in February of 2019. However, even if employment has recovered, we're dealing with a massively depressed economic situation, which means that consumers simply aren't spending as much. A classic example is uh, the restaurant industry. So restaurant, food and beverage, hospitality industry, these are industries which employ low-skilled labour. So we're looking at, at people who are vulnerable anyway within the labour market. These kinds of industries are also industries that take a huge knock. Number one, because of the alcohol ban, how many people stayed away uh, from restaurants. Number two, people simply aren't eating out as much anymore. They're simply not going out as much for fear of contracting COVID-19. And number three, people are significantly poorer than they were last year. The entire economy has suffered. We saw that South Africa had a significant decrease in GDP last year. That has a knock-on effect on people's bottom lines, on their pockets. So people simply aren't spending as much money as they were. So even their jobs have been retained, because I think employers in South Africa, anybody employing people in South Africa, is acutely aware of the almost 40% of unemployment that we have in this country. Looking, you know, more than 40% if, if, if you take the, uh, the broad definition of employment. They're acutely aware of the chronic unemployment problem that we have. So I think employers do everything they can to keep people employed. It often means a decrease in wages. It might mean a decrease in hours work. But even if people retain their employment, in many cases they are earning less than they did. So best case scenario, we've recouped all of our employment. I don't think that we have. I don't think that's an accurate depiction of this. Simply because we know what's happening in sectors like restaurants, like tourism, both sectors which employ low-skilled labour. Even if all of those jobs are recovered, um, it's simply not true that people are earning the same amount of money. And we're seeing it in terms of consumer spending. We're seeing it in terms of disposable income data coming through from the Bureau of Economic Research from the South African Reserve Bank. So I think, you know, we must be realistic. Even if people become employed again, it's a very, very tough situation out there. So I don't believe all of them have regained their employment, and those who have are likely earning at a lower level than they were prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm latching on to what you just said about the ways in which 
the pandemic and the damage that this pandemic has left in its wake has affected different pockets of the country society differently, Doctor. It has been said before that COVID-19 is not affecting the population of the country in the same way, that there are people in and amongst the South African society who are impacted sometimes more so than others, and in other cases less so than others. What are the sort of other factors highlighted by the pandemic that you think have contributed to the increased numbers of unemployment? I'm already thinking about the, the small matter of petrol increases that we've just been introduced to, the various instances of cost of living rising exponentially compared to what it may have been this time maybe two years ago. Can you take me through what other factors may have contributed to the increased numbers of unemployment that we're facing at the moment? It's very difficult to tease out what is COVID-19 and what would have happened in the absence of COVID-19. I think South Africa's macroeconomic situation has been precarious for a while. There's been concern about our macroeconomic situation and how we're actually going to, uh, for example, manage our fiscal situation. I think in terms of COVID-19, the factors that affected different parts of the population more than others were factors like, for example, childcare. So women in the population, for example, were significantly worse affected than men, largely as a result of caring responsibilities in the household. So I think it is difficult to definitively uh, tease out what's COVID-19 and what is just, you know, South Africa's really lackluster macroeconomic performance in the last years and what's been put in place to try and recoup or improve our fiscal position. So yes, it's difficult to separate those out. I think Whatever, you know, I think our back was against the wall prior to COVID-19. We were downgraded by Moody's. So our, our macroeconomic situation has been deteriorating. It means that, that we have a very, very little buffer to work with in terms of providing social support for the population. I think government did everything that it could. I think significant spending on social welfare actually took place in, in the form of various different grants. But I think had South Africa's macroeconomic and fiscal situation been better than it was, we may have been better able to weather the storm. And from an employment perspective, that we may not have seen the, the kind of decreases that we saw during 2020. But that is largely speculative. It's, it's very difficult to come up with a realistic counterfactual in the absence of COVID-19. Now, Dr. Armstrong... At this current stage in our fight against the pandemic, on the back of the multiple addresses that we have been subjected to by our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, he has always stressed the urgent need for the economy to recover. And one of the ways that the goal of the economy's recovery is being met is the slow and steady race that we are running towards herd immunity with the help of the vaccines that are being administered. Now, these vaccines are being administered in phases. We've been told that health workers and the most vulnerable are going to be prioritized first before the rest of the country is afforded access to these vaccines with the goal in mind to achieve herd immunity in as quick an amount of time as humanly possible to further aid the recovery of our economy. Now, in your view as an economist, what do you think is going to be some of the long-term effects of the pandemic on our country, particularly in the interests of our race 
to achieve herd immunity so that we can fully focus on recovering the state of our economy, improving the number of jobs that are available to South Africans? And in what ways do you think the vaccine rollout and this race towards herd immunity will either aid or hamper the recovery of this country's economy? In terms of actually getting our rollout going, I think that will be crucial to opening up the economy again. Once we've reached a level that the virus won't spread, well, not necessarily won't spread, but once we've vaccinated enough people that they won't become severely ill, we'll be able to open the economy up again. So there's no question that vaccination is our best and only route towards reopening the economy. I think there's a couple of factors to South Africans' vaccine rollout. We were very, very late. I think by December 2020, South Africa had not yet secured any doses of vaccine. There's a big question as to why it took the country so long to secure these doses. I think it had to do with public finance. The fact that there simply wasn't money within the fiscus to procure these vaccines. And I think, you know, any way you look at it, there are many questions our government's approach to actually securing those vaccines. Having said that, the medical people on the ground, the likes of Professor Shabir Mahdi, Professor Glenda Gray, and the research they've been doing on vaccines and uh, which vaccines work against South African strain, for example. So we've got very good people in the medical sciences on the ground in South Africa doing groundbreaking research. This is why we know that there is a South African strain of the virus. What it's meant is that we found results, for example, with the AstraZeneca vaccine, that it doesn't protect against mild and moderate illness in the young population. And we've therefore taken the decision not to go with AstraZeneca in South Africa. That had a significant impact on our rollout. It means that, yes, we've been able to vaccinate healthcare workers as part of this Sankey medical trial. But in terms of mass vaccination of the population in different phases, the phase twos and the phase threes of our vaccination rollout, we've lost that time. And we've had to wait to secure Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer shots to roll out to our population. We've managed to do it. And I truly believe that the Department of Health will hit the ground running when those vaccines arrive in South Africa. I'm optimistic that we'll be able to roll this out and get it done. I think we've been very slow out of the starting blocks. I think government has a lot to answer for in that regard. But we have thrown science at the problem. We have had best medical minds evaluate and taking an informed decision. And there's a lot of debate about this amongst epidemiologists, whether it was a good idea to not go with the AstraZeneca vaccine. It has delayed our rollout, but we decided not to. In the interim, we have managed to secure enough Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer shots to roll out the vaccine to a level where we will achieve some form of herd immunity and which means we'll be able to open the economy up again. That's crucial. We're seeing... Countries like Israel, we've seen parts of the United States opening up again or allowing people who've been vaccinated to move around more freely. And that's what we desperately need in South Africa. Our backs are really against the wall. The situation is dire on the ground. So the quicker we can get that vaccine rolled out um, and also convince people to participate in that vaccine rollout, that's another crucial issue. The quicker the economy can get back online. And then even once we are back online fully, it will take a very long time to mend the damage that's been done during 2020. A dire situation indeed. Now, we've touched on the lateness of the rollout 
in South Africa of vaccines, that is, due to the amount of time it took for us to decide which vaccine we would go for and the ability for us to secure doses in a timely fashion. Now, as we've already established, the vaccine rollout, people participating in the vaccine rollout is going to be crucial to the recovery of this country's economy. When it comes to the role that government and policymakers are going to play in the recovery process of the country's economy, what are some of the things that the government and policymakers should consider focusing on when establishing an economic recovery plan? I think what's going to be crucial to South Africa actually coming out of this economic slump that we're in at the moment is for government to stick to the commitments that it's made. For example, Finance Minister Tito Mbaweni speaks extensively about cutting the public sector wage bill, for example, as a massive expenditure item in the budget. We're going to have to see that in practice, for example, um, in order to make keep South Africa's fiscal situation palatable to ratings agencies. We're also going to have to see public-private partnerships, I believe, to get employment going in this country. We're going to have to see some kind of cooperation and some kind of understanding between the public sector and the private sector of the urgency with which we need to create job opportunities and get economic growth going again. I think we certainly are moving in that direction. The big thing with South Africa is we say all the right things. We know what to say. We talk often about public-private partnerships. We talk about an infrastructure fund. We talk about moving to renewable energy. We actually need to see these things happening on the ground. I believe that we are moving in that direction. I think there are many political questions at play about why it's taking so long to move in that direction. But these are non-negotiable. These are things that absolutely have to happen. And we certainly need to see some very strong economic leadership in this regard. It's a tough sell, but we actually don't have another option. What does this all mean then for the recent graduates, for example, who are looking to enter the labor market and look at the way in which the current labor market is set up as far as the lack of windows of opportunity for them to enter the labor market and I'm also thinking about those who have lost their jobs, who are still looking for a way back into the labor market. What does our current reality mean for these people? And what alternatives would you suggest for these graduates who are seeking employment right out of the gate of graduating from university, for the other members of society who were employed at their various places of employment, who lost their jobs, looking to get back into the labor market. What alternatives would you suggest for them not to find themselves in the unemployment bracket anymore? Such a tough question. And I think I really, really feel for new graduates starting out their employment journey now. I do think all is not lost. I think what South Africa needs is entrepreneurs. It's become a bit of a throwaway phase. You know, entrepreneurship is the way forward. But I think it's really, really important. Small enterprises, micro-enterprises are significant employers in South Africa. They account for more than their share of employment in the country. So I think people are going to have to be creative in terms of making opportunities for themselves. I think it will be a very long time before the labor market is able to absorb people in significant numbers again. So entrepreneurship is going to be very, very important. And that's a really, really hard line to hear. Uh, but I think certainly institutions of higher education, perhaps even secondary education institutions, high schools, 
then we start focusing on equipping young people with the skills, not only the knowledge that you learn in university courses, but also the skills to establish their own businesses and to develop networks. So I think, yes, it is incumbent upon graduates and people who have lost their jobs to take matters into their own hands, but also amongst the employed, those who still have jobs, those able to put together networks and put people in touch with each other. I think it's a responsibility of the entire society to pull together and think about how we do this differently. Yes, we can train entrepreneurs, but we have to give them an opportunity. We have to look at this a different way, put people in touch with each other, create opportunities, and give people a chance to show what they're worth. Indeed. And finally from me, Dr. Armstrong, on the basis of us welcoming you onto the show to discuss everything that went into the article you wrote, chronicling the journey of unemployment in South Africa, the ways in which unemployment existed pre-COVID-19 and the ways in which COVID-19 exacerbated the unemployment crisis in South Africa. And also on the back of something you just mentioned now about the words and the promises of the government and these policymakers needing to be matched by action. In what ways will we as the society of South African people that are the most affected by the current state of the unemployment crisis, by the various job losses that many of us have incurred, the various instances where, as you rightly mentioned, while employment opportunities may arise, they still end up in situations where they're not earning as much money as they probably did in previous employment situations due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm trying to gauge a way in which the South African people can hold the government and the policymakers accountable for the grand promises that they make, these wonderful words that you referred to earlier. I'm thinking about the ways in which the university student body has gone about attempting to hold universities accountable due to the severe lack of opportunity to register for a year of academic learning due to the financial impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and without necessarily calling for any kind of protest action or violence or whatever. I am curious from you as to what our role as a society will be to make sure that the government and the policymakers that were elected to take up those positions by, by the South African society to begin with can then hold these very same government officials and policymakers accountable for the grand promises they make as far as their plans to facilitate the recovery of our country's economy. How can we go about making sure that they are held accountable for the promises they make and us making sure that they live up to their word and they live up to the plans that they have to facilitate our country's economic recovery. I think the only way that any society can hold leaders and policymakers to account is through the So best we make sure that the leaders we elect deliver on their promises. I think that's the most practical way in which we can hold leaders responsible. But I think we can also do more. I think the time for change is long overdue. I think South Africans really need to take a long, hard look at our situation and look at people with less than ourselves and look at ways in which you can make a difference, even if it's for one individual. 
And there are many ways that it can be done. I think it's really incumbent upon all South Africans to look at how they can make that difference for somebody. These are, we are in for very, very tough times ahead. I think we're starting to see some of the long-term impacts, particularly on mental health, for example, related to unemployment and general economic recession. And I think it's time that South Africans take a long, hard look and find ways in which they can contribute, small ways, make a difference for one person. And I think ultimately, that's going to be our way out of this global pandemic, the economic impact of this global pandemic. But I also think in the longer term and looking further back into our history, that's going to be the way in which we achieve some kind of equality and some kind of camaraderie as a country. And I think that's going to be vital for any kind of economic recovery. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us and sharing the valuable insights, not only into what went into that wonderful article that you drew up, but also the conversation that we've just had here on the COVID report. And I look forward to paying much closer attention to any changes in trends following this discussion and perhaps being able to invite you back onto the show for a follow-up discussion. So again, thank you so much for your time and thank you for joining us here on the COVID report. It's a great pleasure, Gamalishi. With Dr. Paula Armstrong, director at FTI Consulting, working in the economics and financial consulting segment, part of the team that constructed the study that we've been referring to throughout this conversation, tracking the rise of unemployment over the course of our fight against the COVID 19 pandemic. Now, one of the ways that unemployment has been actively addressed by members of society are the few individuals among us who have Twitter accounts that are dedicated to posting links to job openings and job vacancies. Whether or not these Twitter accounts and the work these Twitter accounts do actually make a sizable difference to address unemployment, especially over the course of our fight against this COVID-19 pandemic, is another story altogether. Now, if you've missed this or any of the other conversations we've had over the course of the history of the COVID report, please visit our website, www.vowfm.co.za. Alternatively, you can also visit Apple Podcasts to find everything you need from the COVID report in podcast format. Until the next time you hear from me, please continue to stay safe. Please keep those hands washed and sanitized. Please keep that mask on. Please continue practicing social distancing as and when you can. And as ever, please remember to support the COVID report. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1 or streams via www.vafm.co.za.